KPBS On Demand is supported by the Museum of Contemporary Art San Diego, offering visitors to the La Jolla campus special exhibitions, collection galleries, coastal vistas, seaside dining, and more. MCASD.org. Good morning. I'm Annika Colbert. It's Friday, January 28th, the eligibility for reparations. More on that next, but first, let's do the headlines. California Senator Alex Padilla is calling for a more aggressive push to get school-aged children vaccinated against COVID-19. He's joined in that call by the California Children's Hospital Association. During a virtual press conference on Thursday, the senator said 67 percent of California kids aged 5 to 12 remain unvaccinated, and it's time that changed. Scientists have proven with months of careful research that the COVID-19 vaccine is safe and it is effective for kids. San Diego's Rady Children's Hospital also participated in the online event. According to Rady officials, the hospital has seen a 24% increase in COVID-related cases in recent weeks, with most of those cases being unvaccinated children. California State University, the largest four-year university system in the country, is considering scrapping SAT and ACT tests from its undergraduate admissions process. Critics say the tests are unfair to minority and low-income students. CSU's Board of Trustees will vote in March on recommendations to end the testing requirements. California state lawmakers have made significant strides to reduce tobacco use. Erica Costa is with the American Lung Association of California, which released its annual report card on Wednesday. California does pretty well. So we have five categories of of grades in the national report. We got three Bs, an A, and then an I. And the I is for incomplete. Incomplete, she says, because California has not yet implemented the ban on flavored tobacco products signed into law by Governor Gavin Newsom. The ban is facing a challenge from a referendum that will appear on the November ballot. From KPBS, you're listening to San Diego News Now. Stay with me for more of the local news you need. KPBS On Demand is supported by Under the Sun Foundation, presenting the Candlewood Arts Festival in Borrego Springs featuring temporary public art projects that engage community and place. March 23rd. More at candlewoodartsfestival.org. On Thursday, California's Reparations Task Force met for the first time in 2022. KPBS Race and Equity reporter Christina Kim says they took on the big topic of eligibility. Ever since the California Reparation Task Force was first established in 2020, one of the thorniest questions it's had to answer is who will qualify for reparations designed to address harms caused by slavery. On Thursday, Secretary of State Shirley Weber, who authored the bill that created the task force, had her say on the subject. She made it very clear who she thinks should be eligible and prioritized. Reparation is for those who are the descendants of slaves first because of the devastation they suffered from hundreds of years of no wages and no ability to own land and accrue wealth. Weber says those who immigrated to the United States from Africa or who were enslaved in the Caribbean or Latin America should not be considered for U.S. restitutions. The task force has until 2023 to draft a proposal. Christina Kim, KPBS News.
Both journalists killed in Tijuana this month had sought help from a Baja California program aimed at protecting those who report the news. But that help never came. KPBS border reporter Gustavo Solis tells us the toll their deaths are taking on the region's cross-border journalists. Laurdes Maldonado was the second Tijuana journalist killed this month and the third in all of Mexico. Margarito Martinez, a prolific crime photographer, was shot and killed outside his home on Martin Luther King Jr. Day. A week before that, Veracruz journalist José Luis Gamboa was brutally stabbed to death. Mexico has long been among the most dangerous places in the world for those who report the news, but the slayings this month have brought fear and outrage among journalists to another level. This week, they took to the streets. ¡Viva Lourdes Maldonado! ¡Viva! ¡Viva Lourdes Maldonado! ¡Viva! ¡Viva Margarito! ¡Viva! Journalists are demanding more protection for the living and justice for the dead. Sonia De Anda heads a local journalist collective called Yo Si Soy Periodista, or Yes, I Am a Journalist. Two years ago, she helped Maldonado enroll in a Baja California protection program for journalists. De Anda now says that program failed Maldonado and Martinez. Most heartbreaking to De Anda is that Maldonado knew she was most vulnerable outside her home. She had told Deanda almost exactly how her death would happen. Deanda says Margarito Martinez asked for state protection last December. But the new governor, who took office in November, had not yet set up the enrollment process. El 17 de enero que lo asesinan, pues prácticamente me entero que nunca lo habían incorporado al mecanismo porque el sistema estatal no se había instalado. Jean Albert Hudson is the Mexico representative for the Committee to Protect Journalists. He said Baja California's program is woefully inadequate. The entire Baja California state mechanism is a hollow shell. It is not autonomous. It doesn't have a budget of its own. It has maybe three or four people working for it. It has uh, its knowledge of risk evaluation and applying protection is rudimentary at best. And it isn't just Baja California. Crimes against reporters are rarely punished in Mexico. The, the principal factor that uh, fuels these attacks is the impunity in Mexico. Uh, in practice, it means that more than 95% of all crimes against the press in Mexico are never actually prosecuted. Tanya Navarro is a reporter for the San Diego Union Tribune. She says the last time she saw Maldonado was at Martinez's memorial less than a week ago. Maldonado was a veteran broadcast journalist who had covered Tijuana for decades. Navarro says she was an inspiration to young women in the news industry. And that's how I remember her, as a hard worker and uh, an example for many of us that started uh, journalism when she was already a big reporter here in this Longtime town. journalist Vicente Calderón says the two recent murders bring back memories of similar crimes against reporters in Tijuana more than 30 years ago. He worries now that the younger generation of journalists will be pressured to leave the industry altogether. I've been talking to some of my colleagues, especially the younger ones, and they say that their relatives are the first ones to tell them, why don't you get away from that the profession? Why don't you choose another line of work? Why don't you come back to the other city where it wasn't that dangerous as Tijuana? So it has, it has a toll. Journalist Yolanda Morales says the entire press corps is looking over its shoulder. But Sonia de Anda says journalists will not succumb to the fear. Continuamos 
sabiendo que nuestra sangre se puede derramar, pero no vamos a dejar ni de trabajar, ni nos vamos a esconder, ni nos vamos a ir del país. They won't hide, flee the country, or stop working, even knowing that their blood could be spilled. Gustavo Solís, KPBS News. The Consulate General of Mexico's San Diego office is hosting a vigil for Maldonado and Martinez tonight at 6 p.m. The sanitation workers' strike may be over, but Republic Services is still under fire. They're being sued in federal court for charging customers despite the lack of sanitation services during the strike. KPBS reporter Kitty Alvarado has more. When sanitation workers with Republic Services went on strike in December, it dragged on for weeks. While the trash trucks stopped, the billing did not. At least that's what one Republic customer is claiming in a federal class action lawsuit. The attorneys who represent the customer are also seeking to represent other customers who were billed at the regular rate despite lack of services. I'm not surprised at all by that lawsuit. Chula Vista City Council member Jill Galvez has been fighting to get Republic Services to do right by their customers and contract with the city. The city manager sent a four-page letter to Republic asking for a meeting to discuss their failure to live up to their contract. This is going to be litigious, there's no question about it, unless Republic just steps up and does the right thing. We reached out to Republic. They declined an interview stating they don't comment on pending litigation. Kitty Alvarado, KPBS News. San Diego has installed bike counters on two streets with new protected bike lanes. KPBS Metro reporter Andrew Bowen says they'll soon be a trove of data. San Diego hopes protected bike lanes, like the ones on 30th Street and North Park, will entice more residents to bike instead of drive. The bike counters here were switched on less than a week ago, and they've already logged more than 1,700 trips. Stefan Vance of the San Diego County Bicycle Coalition says that data is debunking the myth that bike lanes are wasteful because no one uses them. And as we build out the network and build more and more of these really high-quality facilities like that, we are certain that more and more people will start riding and so we'll be able to measure that progress. And if we aren't seeing the progress, then we'll be able to make course corrections along the way. The city plans on installing more bike counters along key bike routes, but hasn't settled on specific locations yet. Andrew Bowen, KPBS News. Coming up, the return of an art house cinema this weekend in San Diego. So yeah, after maybe 20 months of not screening films, here we are in our new venue, uh, and I'm really, really excited. Digital Gym Cinema reopens for a preview weekend at its new location in East Village, and it hosts three days of Sundance Film Festival events. That's next, just after the break. Hi, I'm Bill Hohen. And I'm Ted Hohen. Over the past 50 years, our family has brought many world-class dealerships to Carlsbad, including Mercedes-Benz, Porsche, Audi, Honda, Acura, Jaguar, and Land Rover. That's right. This year we're celebrating 50 years in Carlsbad. So on behalf of the entire Hohen family, we want to thank San Diego. Throughout the years, We've taken tremendous pride in meeting and even exceeding our customers' automotive needs. 
We value the relationships with our clients and look forward to serving you for years to come. We invite you to visit one of the Hohen Carlsbad dealerships or hohenmotors.com. Digital Gym Cinema has been closed for 20 months, but starting on Friday, it'll be hosting a preview weekend at its new location in East Village. KPBS arts reporter Beth Accomando visited the new venue, which will be holding in-person events all weekend as a Sundance Film Festival satellite screen. Running a micro-cinema is tough, and it's made even tougher when you lose the lease to your venue in the midst of a pandemic. Digital Gym Cinema has not only survived, but come back new and improved, says exhibitions manager Moises Esparza. It's a totally new vibe and energy. We're in the East Village now, really close to trolley station. Same type of content, but just a different setting. A different setting that includes a new projector, better sound, a full-fledged concession stand, and more bathrooms. Regulars from the old El Cajon Boulevard venue may rejoice in no longer having to enter at the front of the screen and pull the door closed behind you from the improvised handle near the floor. I'm just really excited to share the space, and it's been truly astounding to see the progress that we've made in just a matter of months. I think we're ready to screen movies. The cinema's ready, but not the entire building. The cinema's located inside UC San Diego's new four-story extension facility at Market and Park, and much of it is still under construction. The first level has a grand staircase that's still being worked on. There's a theater space downstairs that's still under construction. That's why this weekend is being built as just a preview of what's to come. Construction and completion of the cinema has been slowed by various supply chain issues. Even the new projector was delayed and only arrived last week. This pandemic has taught us that patience is the most important thing of all. At some point, you just stop obsessing over these little details and just focus on coming up with plan B's and plan C's and plan D's. So the exit sign's still too bright, and the seats you sit in this weekend may be changed before the official opening in a couple months. But this weekend, Esparza is excited that the cinema's ready to assume the role of a Sundance Film Festival satellite screen. We're part of only a small handful of independent cinemas throughout the United States that were selected by Sundance to host these in-person screenings outside of Park City. But you know, Sundance is fully virtual now, so the satellite screens are the only in-person screenings for Sundance. The big day this weekend will be Saturday. We're going to do a small reception outside. We'll have a photo booth, red carpet, step and repeat. So we're gonna try to create kind of like a festival experience uh, at our new venue. The filmmakers love screening their films in front of audiences and they want that response, that in-person response. Esparza also loves that communal experience of sharing films in person. So he's looking forward to taking a break from virtual events and staging a live Q&A with the filmmaking team behind Sirens, a documentary about the Middle East's first all-female metal band. The response to our film screenings has been largely positive, and we've sold quite a bit of tickets for the weekend. There are still tickets for Esparza's favorite of the festival, Mars One on Sunday. The Brazilian film looks to a lower middle-class family and the young son who dreams of being an astrophysicist. The film really touched me because it takes this idea of like dreams deferred and the obstacles that present themselves but how 
when things don't go right, there's still a path forward. The film left me feeling really, really hopeful and really, really caring about this family. With COVID still a concern, Digital Gym Cinema will be requiring proof of vaccination and asking attendees to wear masks. But if watching films inside the cinema is not for you, then there will be free short film screenings outdoors in the adjacent courtyard. Esparza hopes there will be something for everyone. It'll give even casual supporters of the Digital Gym Cinema an idea of what the type of programming and film activations that we're going to conduct here or that we're going to produce here at our space on a year-round basis. As someone who's programmed films at the old Digital Gym venue, I'm excited to see the rebirth of this micro-cinema. And enough San Diego cinephiles share that excitement to have already sold out one screening this weekend. Beth Accomando, KPBS News. Digital Gym Cinema will be hosting three days of Sundance Film Festival screenings starting today through Sunday at Market and Park. And that's it for the podcast today. Be sure to catch KPBS Midday Edition at noon on KPBS Radio or check out the Midday Edition podcast. You can also watch KPBS Evening Edition at 5 o'clock on KPBS Television. And as always, you can find more San Diego news online at kpbs.org. I'm Annika Colbert. Thanks for listening and have a wonderful weekend.